Series 2 of Oxtalks is now live. Join us for another series of business advice and insight wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there and welcome to this brand new podcast series. Ox Talks, powered by Oxlep, the local enterprise partnership for Oxfordshire, is all new for 2023 and aims to give you more insight into the great work that Oxlep does, empowering and enabling businesses right across Oxfordshire and beyond to add value to their organisation and, crucially, to the communities they serve. I'm Howard Bentham and over the coming episodes I'll be meeting some key characters in the county, finding out how they're changing business for the better and how the support they receive from Oxlep might also benefit your company, SME, social enterprise, or even multinational too. Although we're naturally focusing on Oxfordshire, if you're listening to us in the surrounding counties or even in another part of the UK, many of the issues we experience here will be very similar to the ones you're facing where you are. Do share your thoughts, stories, and observations with us, plus crucially solutions to the problems that you've found Social media is the best place for this, and we'll pick up on your messages in forthcoming podcasts. We are at Oxfordshire Let on Twitter and Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership on LinkedIn, and we look forward to hearing from you. In this episode, we will explore if we really are doing enough to create opportunities for all communities. Although home to the world's best university for a seventh year running, Oxfordshire also has many communities that suffer from deprivation, major cost of living difficulties, and a stifling lack of opportunities, particularly for those from diverse communities and backgrounds. Official figures from 2019, pre-pandemic, show Oxfordshire is the 10th least deprived place out of the 150 or so comparable local authority areas in the country. No surprise, I guess, when you consider the high property prices and rents in the city and wider county. But there are 17 wards within the county, specifically in Oxford, Banbury and Abingdon, that fall into the 20% most deprived areas in England. It's a striking contrast, certainly when there's talk of levelling up we don't need to look too far from home. It's a fact that people in the likes of places such as Littlemore or Rose Hill are struggling to re-engage with the labour market following the pandemic. What are the barriers they are facing? Are there realistic solutions? And is there the will to fix this? In this podcast, we'll hear from an inspiring business leader who is bringing about positive change, ensuring that Oxfordshire's hardest to reach communities can grasp opportunities. He is one of the key players at Make Space Oxford who are helping to reimagine spaces and locations for the benefit of all. We'll also learn just what Oxlep are doing to support this change through its latest batch of business support programmes. With us is Andy Edwards, who's an architect, activist and champion for social change. He's co-founder of Transition by Design and executive director at Make Space Oxford. So before we get into what you do, Andy, and, and whether we're doing enough to create opportunities for all communities here, let's find out a bit about you. How long have you been in Oxford, Andy? Um, I must be getting on for a little over a dozen years now. So yeah, I'm feeling part of the furniture. All right. So almost local then. Almost. Almost, And you've got a background in architecture. What inspired you to study architecture? Yeah, sure. I was very lucky. I grew up in a kind of architectural household. So my dad was an architect and they actually sort of designed, well, he designed and and my parents built their own house on a waste piece of land in rural Somerset. And so that's where I kind of 
grew up and how I was sort of initiated into ideas of design and placemaking and, and architecture. And it was really just sort of being around lots of books, my dad's giant drawing board and endless kind of conversations that at the time felt very abstract that sort of, I guess, eventually inspired me to follow suit. And the tour t-shirt of your life uh, also incorporates a, a visit to India for a spell working there. Tell us about that and how it shaped your thinking. Uh, yeah, sure. It's, it's going back a, a decade or more, but I was, I was very lucky from studying uh, my undergrad in architecture. I joined a, a charity called Architecture Sans Frontières, so Without Borders, um, and they were working with a, a range of different NGOs across the world, but one in particular in India, looking at disaster risk reduction and post-disaster reconstruction. So what is the role of the architect in responding to natural disasters um, or man-made disasters in some cases? Um, and I went on a course out there learning about what disaster risk reduction looks like in terms of design and fell in love with the place and ended up volunteering for an NGO and then working for them in a sort of post-disaster context in rural India. Community is such a, an important part of, of Indian culture, isn't it? Is, is there something we can learn from that sense of community here that we can engage in, in our thinking and perhaps affects your thinking now? I mean, undoubtedly, I think everywhere has something to teach us about the role of community. I, I think obviously my experience is very particular, but just speaking from that context, I think the the hospitality and the welcome that I received was quite extraordinary. And just understanding the difference from working in a place like Delhi, where actually much the same as many places here in the UK, there's lots of isolation, lots of atomization. Um, it's very fast paced, polluting, very industrialized, very hostile compared to some of the villages that I was working in where those uh, family ties, those community ties were really, were really tight. Of course, you can't sort of sort of flatten the, the experience of different communities. And there was lots going on there, you know, particularly thinking about myself, um, you know, as a white British male in that context being received and welcomed. But, you know, there's extraordinary poverty that I was witnessing there. And also that kind of separation in certain communities that was really palpable through things like the caste system. Yeah, and, and that disparity is very much here in the UK and very much here in Oxfordshire and indeed in Oxford itself. Do, do we perhaps forget that seemingly more affluent communities like those in Oxfordshire do in fact have quite big pockets of deprivation where greater outreach and inspiration is needed? I, I think if you're if you're working in a in a social sector, it, it, whether it's social design or social justice areas where make space in our work has tried to situate itself, I think it's very visible. It's absolutely clear. Um, but I think to many in society, and um, you see the divides, and you see the uh, the disconnect between certain people's experience of of living in you know one of the least affordable cities in the UK. If you're part of certain communities, you might not be aware of what's going on uh, on the fringes and the level of deprivation that exists there. Yeah. Would you say that's that's typical of here then, that, that people are actually not that aware that parts of Abingdon, parts of Banbury and parts of Oxford really are actually very deprived and, and it's just not in people's day to day, that it's not a part of their consciousness? I think that's true of a lot of places. I think it's more acute and extreme in Oxford um, because of the unaffordability of things like housing, land and access to, to buildings. But yeah, I think it exists everywhere, but it's concentrated in such a small place where you've got such extremes in wealth disparity. I think that's that's where we've we've got a lot to address and a lot to learn. Yeah, it's, it's almost people sometimes are blind to it. 
if you like. I mean, where I grew up in Bedford, we had very much the, the north of the town was the, the, the richer side of town, that side of the river with the posh schools. And on the south side where I grew up, it was exactly the opposite of that. And trying to get that sort of mobility uh, and, and feel that communities are being addressed and the issues in those communities are being addressed, you feel a little bit cut adrift if you're a part of that community. Mm. Yeah, you. I, I don't know if you've experienced sort of talking with students in, from the university in the city and they often, you know, sort of celebrate the fact that you can cycle everywhere in Oxford in 15 minutes. And I said, well, you can, you can cycle to many places in Oxford in 15 minutes, but actually if you go a little bit further, you discover a whole other side of the city that you otherwise don't know exists. And similarly from the work we've done in Blackbird Lees and Rose Hill, a lot of people associate their urban centre, their town, as being Cowley Centre or, you know, the centre of Blackbird Lees, they don't associate themselves with the city. And I think that's a real shame. And, and I think on both sides, everyone's missing out. We've talked about the, the geography surrounding the, the isolated and deprived communities here in Oxfordshire. But from your experience, who are we talking about here? What, what kind of people from what type of communities? Yeah, I don't really think it's for me to sort of speak on behalf of particular places and particular communities. Um, I can say a little bit about where our work has been focusing. And so we've just completed a f first phase of a project called Owned by Oxford, which has been primarily focused on Blackbird, Lees and Barton, with a little bit of focus on the city centre as well, where there is areas of, of deprivation. Um, and I think we're trying to both listen, learn, understand and shift the narrative around those places. So deprivation gets talked about a lot or I've heard people say uh, hard to reach, you know, and we actually, actually say it's hard to hear actually, um, hard to listen to for some reason, for, what, for whatever reason. We're just not listening to what's going on in those communities and what people are saying. And when you say we, who, who's we? I, I think those with the power and the resources and often those trying to do good. You know, th those wanting to proactively and positively engage in those spaces. And it can feel a very top down and extractive model that we're, we're sort of perpetuating. So owned by Oxford, which is sort of championing a kind of community wealth building approach, is much more about listening to and responding to what's going on in those communities and not talking about the deprivation, not talking about how hard to reach people are, but talking about the assets that are there. It's very much an assets based approach. You know, what ingenuity, creativity, competencies already exist and how are we able to perhaps work with those communities to remove the barriers so that they can get on and do what they do really well? Because it's it's not for anything other than, uh, you know, too many barriers that are stepping in their way and a lack of access to resource. Mm. And that's the, the key barrier for you, is it? The, the lack of access to, to resource? I think it's one of the fundamental ones. I think, yeah, there's 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 a lot at play. But fundamentally, these places have been underinvested in for at least a decade, if not more. And that makes it very hard for people to um, access opportunities, uh, set up new businesses or kind of uh, connect with people in the way that um, we, we might all wish to. I think you've contexted it really, really well, the situation we have here in Oxfordshire. Let's talk a bit about Make Space Oxford and the work you do there specifically now and perhaps the, the fabulously titled Meanwhile in Oxfordshire. I think that's a, a great name for a, a programme uh, that you've collaborated on with Oxlep. Yeah, sure. So 18 months, actually almost two years ago, we um, were awarded the, the contract. Um, so this was funding coming from central government post-pandemic recovery, it was called Getting Building Fund, and it was really ministers wanting to see, okay, how can we respond to the immediate aftermath while still being in the throes of the pandemic? So it was kind of capital grant program saying, how can we respond to the, um, what we're seeing is the 
um, the kind of closure of many high streets and um, shops, retail spaces in urban centres, how can we respond by trying to reanimate those? So if we put some grant into refurbishing those buildings, making them accessible to a, a broad range of different groups and organisations, what kind of impact would that have in sort of drawing people safely back to those high streets and trying to sort of create a, a sustainable recovery, if you like, to the local economy? A lot of people might suggest, oh, this is COVID that's created a lot of empty spaces. But actually, what you've been saying is that this was happening well before the pandemic. Yeah, it's pretty systemic stuff. Uh, I think we're seeing a kind of a long-term decline. It's been well-reported long-term decline in, a, in the high streets and urban centres for many kind of different reasons around just general decline in, in how the economy's been structured and, and working or not working for many. And so I think there was this anticipation that the numbers would rapidly increase. And I think actually what we saw is that the nature just shifted. Um, we talked a little bit about how people are using, accessing space and needing space, shifting phenomenally from everyone being cooped up in their in their homes um, to then wanting to re-engage with the public sphere, wanting to get out of their homes again to access green spaces or workspaces, but doing that in a very different way. And so we've been through the programme almost sort of trying to respond to that change in real time. So we talk about it being you know a lot of learning, iterating prototyping, testing, experimenting. There wasn't a kind of clear, you know, solution that we could sort of pull off the shelf. We're in uncharted waters. So that's been really exciting. Um, and it's meant for lots of successes, plenty of failures, lots of learning. And But the idea that you kind of iterate and you learn quick and you respond and you, you do it better next time. Let, let's hear a few examples then, because I know there's the hub space on Aristotle Lane in North Oxford, for example. Describe the sort of businesses that operate there and, and the sort of community that has sprung up really with, with what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So Aristotle Lane sort of predates Meanwhile in Oxfordshire. That was our first hub space. Classic example of a building empty for, I think it was more than four or five years. Um, the owners in Oxford College not knowing what to do with it, knowing that it, they wanted to kind of do a longer term redevelopment. And so there was sort of interstitial, this sort of meanwhile period, and sort of meanwhile between what are the grand plans for the landowner and what's happening now. Um, and that was an opportunity for us to kind of intervene, take it on a, a short term lease and really kind of throw open the doors and say who would like to be part of this experiment. How know? short is a short term lease? Um, so that particular lease was two years. But, you know, when we talk about meanwhile, it's kind of like meanwhile to who? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. when you, you look at it in the context of an Oxford yeah. college, yeah. You, know, they, you know, they plan on a 50, 100 year time frame. But, you know, six, 12 months could be make or break to a community business starting up. So, you know, it, it can be anything from a pop-up for a day, you know, day-long event, right the way through to some of the leases we've taken on, which are 10 years plus. Um, but yeah, to go back to, to kind of what does the community look and feel like, we were very clear not to determine who should be coming into the space. Instead, we sort of set criteria that we wanted people to work to. So are they delivering a social or environmental benefit locally? Are they interested in working in a sort of spirit of mutual aid, support and solidarity? Uh, are they interested in connecting and collaborating with other organisations? Are they sort of pulling in the same direction, as it were? But whether they're from a particular sector or not, we were totally agnostic. And as a result, you kind of walk through the doors of Aristotle Lane's a good example, and you've got um, young women's music projects right next to a community pottery studio and then you've got a charity working over there you've got share oxford as a library of on things on the face of it looks really random it, it really does yeah and it might present itself that way but i think when you're in the space you kind of get it in that everyone's part of kind of 
creating a new economy in a way, a sort of more regenerative economy. You're promoting sharing items and loaning items rather than buying a new. You know, you're promoting things like bringing people together to create a safe space to learn and create music um, or access a kind of a craft like pottery. And so it's, it's kind of all coming around this idea of connection and creativity. So in practice then, a, a meanwhile lease would work how? It can work in many different ways. The, the make space model is to broker a lease or so a legal agreement with a landlord on an empty building um, and then license out that space to a resident who then becomes part of our community. We take on the costs of managing the space and in some cases the refurbishment where that's needed and then we charge what's called a fair or affordable rent to the residents and we try and sort of balance that very carefully between what's affordable to that resident because that changes in every context whether we can balance the books so whether we can generate enough income to just cover our operating costs um, and also what does the local market look like so in some places the the market rates might be higher or lower and sort of by balancing all of those factors we try and come to you know a fair rent yeah i can almost hear people listening to this podcast shouting well, where's the money come from then well you obviously need to repurpose spaces that there must be a budget who's paying yeah well the meanwhile in oxfordshire program which is the opportunity for us to go from two hub spaces to nearly 30 buildings brought back into use in 18 months which is pretty much unprecedented across the country that was possible through Oxlep and the 1.69 million pounds of capital grant which went straight into refurbishing those buildings because that's where a lot of the heavy lifting goes but then there is the um the management and maintenance costs so we operate our we're social business, non-profit, any surpluses go straight back into our mission, which is to unlock uh, other empty buildings, bring them back into use. We operate on a basis of kind of blended income streams or mixed income. So generating some income from our residents, but that, you know, by virtue of wanting to charge as affordable a rate as possible, it doesn't necessarily cover the, the full costs. Sure. So then we top that up with, with grants where we can access it. But what about the, the point that they are temporary, as you say, it might be a six month lease and you've spent money refurbishing, repurposing, whatever you want to call it. That, that money potentially is just going to be ripped out and wasted. Uh, is that throwing good money after bad? It can be. It, it, it really could be. And so with but that's taxpayers money. That, that, that's ultimately it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And and what's interesting is, um, you know, the council designed the program and they were looking for occupancy of a minimum of six weeks. You know, it seems ludicrous that you would a minimum of six weeks put this amount of money into leases. But of course, what we've done is we've said, how much value can we generate, you know, and how much can you recycle this money? So, for example, if you're, we didn't do anything for six weeks, but, you know, we did have several 12-month leases. So you're going to put less money into those buildings. And you're also going to put it into things that add value longer term. So if you're putting in a heating system, you're going to put in something that's plug and play. You're not going to install infrastructure so you can take it with you. Um, you're going to invest into those businesses with pieces of merchandise, ways in which they can do signage and things that will be valuable to them beyond that building. And then when we're putting serious money into a building, so in, in one case in Wantage, we've just uh, launched the old stables, um, which was a, a former health centre, been empty for five years. We put £300,000 into that building, but that's a 10-year lease. 
with the opportunity potentially for longer term acquisition and that's owned by a council. So you're trying to think, okay, you, you proportionally want to be putting your investment into where it's going to be giving you the best bang for your buck, you know, where it's going to do the most for the local community. I still can hear council taxpayers screaming, that's, that's my money. How does it play out with council taxpayers with what people tell you? Universally, everyone's so welcoming um, when we go and intervene in a particular place. Generally, that sense of relief that someone is coming in to take care of a building that no one else cares about. And is actually, you know, there's that sense of pride returning. Um, take the Hayfield Road Residents Association, which is part of the local community around Aristotle Lane or um, around the old stables in Wantage. Everyone stops and goes, we're so happy you're here. And, you know, not only can I now join the pottery studio or come and get my trousers turned up at the tailors that's upstairs, but also I can kind of hold my head up high that I know that something interesting and a little bit different is going on in my high street or uh, in my community. So, yeah, far from there being a sort of reticence or concern, I, I think we've we've all witnessed through, through COVID the misuse of taxpayers' money writ large. I'd say the the value for money that we've been able to generate by working so hard to think about where the money goes is a good counterpoint to where, you know, we've seen perhaps big, big money going post-COVID. And, and how crucial is Oxlep's role in, in making all this happen? Well, I mean, without the grant, nothing would have been possible. And we never thought that we'd be able to scale this quickly. If I'm being totally honest, I don't think an organisation should scale that quickly. You know, we often talk about, yes, growing, growing our impact, but not necessarily you know, just growing the bottom line for the sake of it and growing at the speed of trust, because ultimately what we did, we're, we're in the relationship building industry. At the speed of trust. Growing at the speed of trust. That's a, that's so a, we're, a nice catchphrase. So we're, we're in the relationship building industry. You know, the, the buildings are secondary to the places that we want to create. And if the relationships aren't working, then we're not doing our job right. And if you grow very quickly and you suddenly find that you're intervening all over the place and our capacity was enormously stretched through the pandemic um, and in trying to mobilise this programme, you suddenly, you, you know, you, you realise that you've overstretched yourself. So a lot of the work we're doing now that all these hub spaces and various buildings have been launched and, and reopened is actually taking the time to respond to what the communities in those places need, what they're saying, and trying to forge those relationships, essentially showing that we're in it for the long haul. You know, the the tactic, the the tools that we're using, they're meanwhile, the process is very long-term. We're not going anywhere. We care about actually long-term community place-based renewal. Rob Panting, Oxleps Communications Manager, is here. Rob, uh, you've picked up some questions from our social channels and elsewhere uh, that Andy and I have been discussing. What are folks saying? Thanks, Howard. Yeah, we've had some really good response from our social media following. Um, really grateful for the input from those businesses in Oxfordshire that are interested in this topic. So just to share a couple of thoughts with you, one of our social media followers asked the question around, do we need to make Oxfordshire's key sectors more accessible? And I, and I guess that's in, in context really around a lot of the work that Oxfordshire does around promoting our key sectors, such as space, energy, etc. Actually, should we perhaps be looking at providing people with more practical business skills to move forward? Are those key sectors, although fantastic, and, and hopefully many people from a variety of different communities in, in Oxfordshire can benefit from them in their future career, but should we perhaps be looking more towards supporting people with, um, uh, with greater business skills and helping them to perhaps be more entrepreneurial? Yeah, I think really good question. I, I, I do think we need to 
step out of the the silo mentality of thinking purely in sectors and perhaps think about okay what what are the tools that we and young people need to create a sustainable livelihood for themselves and also respond to some of the big ticket challenges that we're facing around social inequity or climate crisis. And so I think it's, yeah, it's much more a question of what are those tools that are going to allow people to move forward, tackle some of these key issues, um, whether that's an understanding of business models or whether it's an understanding of things that just don't tend to get taught, whether it's in higher education or through your schooling about collaboration, partnership building, um, those kind of things. I think we'll see some real shifts and positive change. Absolutely. Uh, another question that's that's been raised is around uh, a lot of the, the the stuff that you've been talking about already, Andy, around social mobility and uh, and actually how successful we are in Oxfordshire or perhaps where we can improve. Are we aware of any areas elsewhere in the UK or indeed globally? You mentioned you know where you've worked in the past where social mobility is actually implemented more successfully, or or actually are there similar challenges for for us all in achieving that? Yeah, I think you've kind of hit it there. I think everyone's confronting the same challenges. These are kind of global forces that are acting. But you're seeing lots of examples coming forward, sort of shining lights within smaller uh, neighbourhoods. I think neighbourhood level, municipal level communities through particular projects, whether it's around community land trusts or kind of neighbourhood led regeneration. I think they're demonstrating that that's a, a much more inclusive way um, to respond to some of the issues that are going on and kind of responding to positive reconstruction of like local economies at that level. But it, I think it's hard to say, you know, is there a particular nation state or, or area that's doing it better than another? Excellent. Just to add, we really want more input from our, our followers moving forward with the podcast. So do continue to send in your questions for all future podcasts. Rob and Andy, thank you for the moment. We'll chat more shortly. Good to have you along for Ox Talks, the brand new podcast series powered by the Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership. If you want to get in touch with the team at Oxlep to comment on what you've been hearing, find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Oxfordshire Lep or via LinkedIn, search for Oxfordshire Local Enterprise Partnership. Perhaps you run a company or organisation that is just looking for some specific help or simply need a stick to the most appropriate business advice available. Well, why not try the Oxlep business support tool? Oxlep's business support tool is here to help your company. Whether you're just starting out, growing, or ready to take on a new business challenge, if you're looking for the latest advice and support, complete our business support tool today and get set to receive a bespoke action plan for your organisation. Head to OxfordshireLEP.com to find out more. Let's chat more to Andy Edwards from Makespace Oxford and Transition by Design. The phase one of Meanwhile in Oxfordshire finished, I think that was in September. Is there a phase two? Yeah, so the phase one ending means all the capital grant has been spent. We've launched all these new spaces, but that means automatically we're flowing into a phase two. And there's no uh, more grant attached to that, sadly, but it's it's sort of the beginning of the journey in real terms for Makespace and all the residents in those buildings. So you're on your own two feet, effectively, now? Then. Exactly, yeah. It's about making these spaces sing, bringing people together, uh, making sure the spaces work for them, uh, generating, generating a sustainable income, but also securing grants 
grants ongoing to support those businesses. We'd love to draw in more capital grant. We, I think we've demonstrated that the kind of money that came through meanwhile in Oxfordshire can go an awful long way. Um, but that's not something on the table this moment in time. Okay. And owned by Oxford, in terms of a phase has just completed as well. Is there more to come? That's correct. Yeah, we're actively fundraising to continue the work there as well. So we've sort of demonstrated how principles around community wealth building can have a, a demonstrable impact in local communities, particularly those that are less resourced and with communities that are often less heard and less seen. And, you know, we've shown that huge impact can be created with a very small amount of money let's get a lot of money and let's start properly investing in some infrastructure in those communities. Yeah, I mean, we're in the post-COVID economy now, aren't we? Many businesses having to change the way they operate as we've all run into the cost of living crisis. Is there a real risk, Andy, that less affluent communities may not receive the, should we say, the opportunities they previously would have hoped for? Yeah, I think we're looking at a sort of systemic underinvestment in those areas. And there's a huge amount that needs to be done to sort of adjust the dial uh, and change the way that money is flowing. And we were talking before, you know, I think we're agreed. It's not that there isn't enough money out there. It's just very unequally distributed. And so, you know, part of our work we see uh, is in shining a light on those fantastic initiatives that are happening in communities that are more on the margins and showing that with some modest amounts of investment, a huge amount of change can happen and championing the cause for more investment going into those areas. I mentioned in the introduction that, that you've got a keen interest in, in social change and a part of your philosophy, is, as you've talked about very eloquently, is creating a more equitable and broader ownership model in our town and city space. Is that realistic or idealistic? Yeah, so talk, talk about social justice. What does that mean? And in the context of, of make space and high streets, placemaking, we talk about spatial justice. And as you say, that's absolutely about getting a more plural ownership model, having more people having a say in how our towns and cities are designed and created and changed, having people involved in the design process for that. I would say it's not only possible, it's an imperative if we're going to respond to the challenges that are on our doorstep. But that's capitalism, isn't it? If we're going to have a broad economic chat, people own stuff and they'll rent it out and they want to make money and people make more money and you get people that are very good at it. You've only got to watch The Apprentice. Yeah, absolutely. Actually reminding me, I was walking past um, one of the studios yesterday in one of our Make Space hubs that had a poster on the wall by Ursula Le Guin. And it said, a beautiful illustration, said, we live in capitalism. This power seems inescapable, but so did the divine right of gods not so long ago. And so, you know, any human power can be changed by human beings. And there's nothing natural about our current property system. There's nothing natural about our economic system. It's designed and it's designed to work for a small number of people. And it's eminently possible that we can make it, we can redesign it to work for more people. And I think part of our job is to create little shining lights and examples through our make space buildings, through our partners to show where that shift is possible. Some might argue though, you're just tinkering at the edges starts with tinkering and then it snowballs. And I think that's the idea with meanwhile. If you start and end with meanwhile, what does it change? You know, you could argue it's a sticking plaster on a broken system. But if meanwhile is a catalyst to shifting ownership and actually we're working with communities to acquire assets long-term, then you're changing the table. You know, you're changing the way that the game is played. So the communities own their community centers, the communities own their workspaces 
that's resilience that is currently being held back from from those areas mm. and, and, and that's happening you know we you know and that is where you can you can look to whether it's Plymouth or certain boroughs of London or Leeds or Manchester where you're seeing communities take back control and literally take ownership of the spaces in which they're working and that just shifts the playing field back to the likes of Aristotle Lane and and the other amazing places that uh you've done uh, and and help make happen what does happen when a startup really establishes itself do you get to a point where you have to say that's it guys um you, you've outgrown your space here you've got to go have, have you actually had to uh, show people the door i think people can recognize that for themselves so I, i'd say that at that point we've kind of done our job you know we've succeeded and ideally organizations just get on and do it for themselves and they pick up the phone to us as and when they might need some support and it hasten to add you know we we're part of a community of actors some of which have been doing this for decades locally we're a little bit ahead but you know the likes of fusion arts is a great example where they've been been doing meanwhile space for years and, and many other people have been doing kind of pop-up interventions for years so if you can, if they can do it themselves great uh, if they need a bit of help we're here if they need a lot of help and they want to be part of the community that we're building then we're here but the idea is to upskill transfer our knowledge so that people can go off and we we kind of want these things springing up everywhere there are hundreds of empty buildings you know we've looked at over 400 empty buildings through the meanwhile in oxfordshire program we unlocked 30 that's amazing just across oxford or oxfordshire oxfordshire there's 400 empty buildings that we looked at there are many more and the idea of you know the the reality of whether a building gets unlocked or not is really complex you know there's so many actors involved um not just the landlords but it's also whether it you know the changes that you want to make comply with planning laws whether you can do it within the financial constraints that you've got and so there's so much more that we can do to affect change but so that's why we kind of need so many more actors doing this and sharing their learnings i mentioned in the introduction about the will to make this happen is there the political because it's going to be a political decision on planning and all these the other aspects you're talking about is there the will to make this happen i think we're seeing a big shift you know the fact that the city council for as an example has adopted inclusive economy as their mantra you know they're not just uh the idea is no, no longer just to service growth but it's actually about looking at a fundamental redesign of the economy where you center social and environmental outcomes first rather than it being a bolt on that's really exciting the fact that they are uh, you know and, and the lep is putting money into programs like meanwhile in oxfordshire is really exciting and some of the shifts that are happening at a county level are all going in the right direction but you know of course we need more but that's our job is to kind of just to make it so exciting and alluring everyone wants to be part of it and be part of the change right let's uh, bring back into the conversation oxleps uh, rob panting once more rob tell us about how oxlep has been supporting greater opportunities in in harder to reach uh, and disadvantaged communities there's a specific link with blackbird lee's technology campus in oxford isn't there uh, that's correct yeah i mean firstly some some stunning work that that make space oxford do and andy and colleagues achieve so i think you know it's important to to acknowledge that yeah i th- i think from our point of view it's important that we seek opportunities where investment can make a real difference in those communities so the technology center that you that you mentioned in blackbird lees that's been open since 2016 we secured 4.5 million pounds towards the project and uh, and the building being developed uh, andy mentioned a, a funding stream earlier on they're getting building fund this one's the the local growth fund uh, provided by government and uh 
since 2016, there's there's close to around about 900 students who have benefited from courses and work experience through uh, the Technology Centre. So quite significant opportunities created for young people in particular, helping them to, I guess, establish a foot within some of those key STEM environments that are not only big within Oxfordshire, but but globally, we've only had to look over the last couple of years to see how yeah, important quite. science and technology is to not not just the economy, but to to everyone really, and the quality yeah. of life, humanity. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I would also just add another program that we've uh, invested in: um, our social contract program, which we launched uh, around about six, nine months ago. There's a programme in there or part of the programme called uh, Oxgrow, which is an online mentoring scheme. We're trying to connect business leaders from within Oxfordshire with those people who are finding it challenging to, to get back into the workplace, partly driven by COVID, but also a whole number of different personal situations that they might find themselves in. So that online scheme is in place to provide mentoring, to provide guidance and confidence really for, for people who, who might feel isolated and, and unable to to really earn a living. So those business volunteers have been huge to the success of, of the initial startup of, uh, of Oxgrow and, and that's an area of work that we want to continue. Andy, any thoughts on what Rob's saying there? I mean, for me as a, a former teacher, Education is a key part of the solution. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think, but it, it sits within a kind of package of support that allows for a shifting of power and allows for a shifting like, fundamentally of, of the resources that are available. And so it's great, but, you know, we just want to see lots more investment going into places that are generating social outcomes and allowing communities to kind of do it for themselves rather than being constantly reliant on small amounts of handouts. So... Let's sum up then, Andy. Short to medium term, how can we level up better locally in Oxfordshire? Are we doing enough to create opportunities for all communities here? And, and if you've got your top three things you're going to fix as soon as you walk out of, the, of this studio, what would it be? Yeah, big questions. Um, well, high level, you've heard me say it, you know, shift the ownership, shift the access to space and change the narrative but sort of more specifically there are really great campaigns and initiatives that are starting to take root and you know ideally you just give them all the momentum and resources that they need to kind of fly so a few in particular first of all you know kind of understanding of who owns land in britain there's a brilliant book called who owns england there's a, a fantastic project called who owns oxford it is so opaque to understand you know who owns and we we know how unequal it is we were talking before about how less than one percent of the population own over half the land in, in our country we don't even know how to grapple with the problem or fully understand the problem if we don't have all the information at our fingertips so first of all make it totally publicly accessible and transparent to understand who owns the land and then start to get behind some of these new campaigns for putting power genuinely in community hands so there's a kind of community power act that power to change are driving at the moment which would unlock all kinds of mechanisms community right to build community right to buy putting genuine power and tools these tools that we we're talking about into communities hands so they can sort of do it for themselves and then we're really pleased to be part of a, an initiative called platform places which is developing sort of network again it's around packages sort of 
expertise, people really knowledgeable in the sector of placemaking, urban design, property, and some funders drawing those people together to help communities take control of, of their high streets. And we'd love to see, you know, platform places kind of just fly this year. They were set up last year um, starting to gain some traction. And that's where, you know, we're not trying to see the asset owners, the landlords as the bad guys. We're trying to see how we can work together to ultimately sort of deliver on the social outcomes that all of us want to see and need to see. Fascinating stuff. How do people get in touch, Andy? I mean, you will have inspired a lot of people uh, from what you've been talking about for the last half an hour or so. How can they find you? How can they get access to some of these spaces? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, come find us on the socials, on the website, makespaceoxford.org. Um, yeah, we've just launched four new hub spaces in Digcourt, Abingdon, Wantage and Oxford City Centre. And we have spaces available. So if you're interested in a workspace that is more than just the space itself, it's an opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals trying to make their their neighbourhoods a better place, then get in touch and, and look at our website for upcoming space opportunities. Andy Edwards, thank you very much. Thanks also to Rob Panting from Oxlep too. And thank you for listening to Ox Talks. This is the first podcast in the series and we hope you'll be tuning in to more over the coming weeks. Find us where you normally get your podcasts from and do tell your friends or colleagues. Please feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions on our social media channels. It'll be good to hear from you. Remember, business supports in Oxfordshire is just an email or a phone call away. The Oxlep business support tool can signpost you to expert help in just a matter of minutes. It is worth taking a look. Find it on our website oxfordshirelep.com. So do tune in again to the series when we'll be discussing amongst other things how to retain talent, adopting new tech and how ESG can enhance your business. But for now, from the Oxlep team and from me, Howard Bentham, it's goodbye.